Um, so it's not working. Uh, so we're in James, and I'm going to read the scripture for us uh, right now. Uh, beginning in James and verse uh, 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you join me for prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the word that you have given us by the Holy Spirit through holy men of old who are moved to write. And Lord, we thank you that this, your earthly half-brother James, uh, has given us so much wealth of what we ought to be doing. And Lord, as he sums up all of this teaching, he points to you. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that today... Uh, we might see you high, lifted up. Lord, see, see you seated there at the right hand of the throne of the Father, waiting the signal to come back for your bride. Lord, right now we know that you're doing a lot of washing and cleansing and ironing of our garments until we are uh, made what you want us to be. Uh, but there is coming a time when the bride will be presented to you uh, without spot or blemish. And, and Lord, we just thank you that uh, we have that to look forward to. In the meantime, may we... Continue to seek your face as you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt, it is good, good to see you all here this morning. Uh, I'm Stuart McCarter, as, as most of you know, but I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary. And so I'm glad for those here in the auditorium, glad for those that are joining us on Facebook uh, and, and uh, through any electronic means. So we are grateful that you are here. This is the concluding passage in the book of James. We've been going through James. We've been calling it uh, Practicing Jesus in an Opposing World because the world is against uh, the very basic teachings of Christianity. There are only really two religions in the world. Uh, there's Christianity and everything else, and everything else has one thing in common, and that is man's attempt to know God. Christianity is God coming down to earth and revealing himself to man. And so we believe, and with good reason, we have the complete revelation of God contained in the Scripture because Jesus pointed to this. He said, this is what testifies of me, and this is the written word. Jesus is the living word. He is the revelation of God to us. And Hebrews 1 says he's the final revelation. There's none coming after him. This is it. And so as we read the Bible, we learn about Christ. We understand the Scripture because it is all about Christ through that prism, through that, through that look. And so as James comes to the end, he starts talking to us about a subject, and the subject is prayer. And we call this sermon today, When Should I Pray? And uh, if you don't already know, the answer to that is anytime, every time, all the time, okay? That's when you should pray. Anytime you think you need to, whenever you're in a situation, all the time, be constantly in prayer. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And so prayer is 
is something that we ought to be actively involved in, really, 24-7. You say, that's not possible. Well, it is, but I won't be talking about that that much today. But to be, some preachers have always said, an attitude of prayer, which means that you are aware of God's presence with you. The Bible says he lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, so we can be in communion with him at all times. But I, I want to just refer to, I'm going to refer to several other scriptures today, but I want to refer to one in particular right now, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, because we see a principle there for the believer. And uh, it might take me a minute to get to it. It's the only uh, verse I did not mark. There it is. I'm already there um, uh, in my Bible. But here's what it says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In that passage, we see that prayer marks us as believers. He says that we are, that word sanctified means to be made holy. That the word holy means to be cut out and separated for a special purpose. So the Bible's telling us that all Christians are called out by God for a special purpose to look like Christ, to act like him in this world. And we call those people the church. And the church is always seen in local visible assemblies of people. So we believe in the church that we're all part of who believe in Christ, but we also believe in local visible assemblies of the church. But notice what it says, we are made holy in Christ. We are called to be those saints together with everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that someone is our brother or sister? It is that they call upon the same Lord Jesus Christ that we call upon. Now, there are religions that claim the name of Jesus Christ, but they don't teach Jesus as the Bible teaches Jesus. So, therefore, it is not the same Jesus. They have uh, an extra book or an extra teaching outside of Scripture. And if you've got that, that's heretical. It's wrong. It's, it's born of hell. It's just wrong. And so, you need to stay in the Word of God. This is where we learn about the person of Christ. But in that verse, it is letting us know that that. The believer is the one who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just for salvation. That's for our entire life. I so appreciate the songs we sang this morning. We had a couple of real oldies in there. We had a real old hymn. I love that old hymn. I love it for a couple of reasons. I love the words. I love the music in it. Um, uh, you know, music is kind of just a means to get the message out that are in the words. So I, the words are more important, therefore. But I love that hymn because it's all in a minor key. It's just got that kind of like, man, this is a serious feel about it. But did you notice the words? Uh, it's a verse that even when we sang that hymn, we didn't sing that verse very much. And it says, the only thing is you need to feel your need of him. You need to feel your need of Christ. And then right after that, went right to the course. So I will arise and go to Jesus. Now think about those words, I will arise. What is the, the verb in there is arise, but what is the, the motivation? I will. In other words, you just say, this is something I'm going to do, and you do it. You get up, and you actually do it. When you feel your need of Christ, the answer is to go to him. In the rest of that verse, of uh, that song, it was saying that it, it's, you can't get ready, you can't be good enough, you just need to know you need him and go to him because on the cross he paid for everything that we would ever need. And so 
I want to ask you something. Have you ever prayed and seen the answer to prayer? Now, don't answer out loud. I'm going to give you that second to think about it while I took a sip. The answer ought to be yes if you're a believer. Because if you're a believer, you ought to be calling on his name. And if you are a believer calling on his name, he will answer the prayer, and he will answer it yes. You say, wow, that's, that's a lot of bold statements in there. Yeah, it is. I, I'm glad I didn't come up with them. The Bible says that he will answer because he always answers our prayers and he always answers them yes. I, I did mark these verses, John 15, 7, and you're free to look there with me if you would like. But John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me, Jesus speaking, if you abide, which means to live, to draw your life out of, it's more than living with, it's not like Christ is beside us, is we are plugged into Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Well, how does that work? Well, Romans 6 says we identify with him in his death and so we rise with him in his resurrection. I'm already alive. Ephesians says I'm already in the heavenly places. I just am awaiting the time I move out of this body and into my home there. Christ is already with me. And in, Rome, in John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Did you catch that? Some people don't like it when I uh, say, and I don't know who they are. Nobody really ever says that to me, but I know some people don't like it. When we say we are limited to the Bible to know the will of God, the mind of God, and who God is. But we are. We're limited. Now, I know God gives us impressions, and, and he leads us in some ways that we can't really define, but he will never lead us apart from this. It, it, you know, us preachers, we say it all the time, well, I felt led of the Lord. Well, you know, sometimes you might feel led, and it'd be a false leading. So you have to check all that and the Scripture, right? And that what First John says? If you're in here, give me at least a nod. Yeah, yeah, it does. It says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. And there's a test there to try the spirits. And John 15, 7 says, if we're abiding in him, that is, we're getting our life from him, and we're letting his word, his, his, the things he said in the Scripture, abide in us, which means it molds our life. It's the force of our life. It is the thing that makes, defines how we act and what we do. Then notice the rest of the verse. You can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Because if you're abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in you, you're not going to ask for something amiss. You're not going to ask for something you shouldn't be asking for. James further defined that. We were preaching about that earlier in the book where he says sometimes you ask and you don't receive because you ask the, amiss or the wrong way so that you can consume it on yourself. Prayer for the Christian is never about what we can get from God. It's about God getting all of us to do his will on earth while we're here. Well, there were, some, there were some few weak amens. I appreciate all of them. But you know what? When you're praying for revival, that's what you're praying for. And we're praying for revival. We're not praying that, that, uh, that God would act. God's ready to act. We are, when we're praying for revival, we're praying that God's people would start acting like God wants us to act, that we would quit desiring for ourselves and start desiring his will, that we'd totally be emptied and surrendered for his will. You say, well, that's one proof text. Yeah, it's kind of a proof text. But look at John 11. Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus and just one verse. I don't have time to tell you that whole story again. Uh, hopefully you know it. If not, it's found in John 11. I encourage you to go back and read it later. But John 11:42, Jesus standing at the tomb of a dead man. 
And he says at the end of verse 41, Father, I thank you that you heard me, have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. What is the one main thing we, we learn from that? That God always hears the prayers of Jesus, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, there's more things to learn in there, but that's a big main thing, right? All right, I mentioned the church earlier. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. We're not the brain. We don't tell the body what to do. We respond to what the brain tells us. Who is the head of the body? Jesus Christ. So he's the brain of the outfit, right? He's the, he's the head. He tells the body what to do, and the body does it. What does that require? It requires good communication through the nervous system, right? I mean, God didn't use the body as an example for no reason, and today we understand more about how the body works than ever before. If I were to fall and break my neck, as people have, and that's a tragedy, and it severed my spinal cord, my brain could no longer communicate with my body, and my body would not be uh, of any great use to me other than my heart's beating and keeps me alive, right? Uh, but I wouldn't be able to just willfully do anything on my own. It would be a, a tragic, horrible situation. And this, it's, it's more horrible when the church is cut off from the communication with Christ. And since we're his body and he is always, we should be abiding in him and his word abiding in us so that when we ask, we're asking according to his will. And when he prays, the Father always hears him. He said later, there's coming a day when you won't have to ask me, you can ask the Father because he himself loves you. But, we, but because we're his body, we're his bride. We're, we'll probably be preaching about that in the coming weeks, about what the church really is and what the intention of the church is. But I want you to catch that as the body of Christ, when we're praying in the will of God, we have the confidence that God has heard us. He always hears us and just a short encouragement out of Psalm 32 and verse 6. He's talking about being in trouble and he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And then, just kind of appropriate for today, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. In other words, God says, When you need me the most is when I'm the closest to you. And so the Bible is telling us to pray. And as we come to this end of this book of James, what we have found, a lot of people struggle with the book of James, but here's what James is all about. If you got faith, it ought to result in something. Something ought to give in your life. There ought to be some visible evidence that God is at work because you're doing his will. You're walking in his will. You're hearing his will. And you're reacting. And remember, he's, he's saying this to the whole church, that the church ought to be listening to Christ. And as he speaks, we should act. And so he comes to this verse and he, at this passage and he concludes it by asking, when should we pray? Listen, just I hope you take this st statement home with you. The key to God working in our life starts with God working in our life. Because the devil will never inspire you to pray. Because it is in prayer you're talking to God and getting results. If you feel bothered by the devil, start talking to God. The devil... He might not leave you alone totally, but it's going to back him up a little bit, all right? In other words, God is the only one who's going to prompt you to pray. If you feel like praying, that's God. If you don't feel like praying, that's the devil stopping you from hearing from God, and you ought to pray anyway. That's when you, I will arise and go to Jesus, because that, he's the comfort. He's the power in our life. Can somebody please say amen? I'm 
Whew, praise the Lord. Hard preaching to white people, I'm telling you. <laughs> I need some amens. All right. If that offended you online, my apologies. I didn't mean to offend. All right. We need to pray, and here's how James t- says it. That was a long introduction, but I was just excited. It, it, we need to pray personally. We need to pray personally. Notice what he says. Are you suffering? Don't put it on Facebook. Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing praises. Listen, whatever God's got going on in your life, the first reaction ought to be talk to God. In prayer or praise, just communicate with God. Go to Him. And then he goes on to say, now if you're really sick, ask the pastors to come pray for you and let them anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. I I, want to point out something about that passage. A couple of things. Number one, faith's involved in that. A lot of times we ask for, people ask for prayer for people that don't want us to pray for them. The Bible, the order here is if you're sick, you ask for the, for the prayer. Notice that? Because that means you've got faith God will do something. I know there's people that are sick and we really want God to do something in their life. Well, you pray. Pray God will do something in their life. Pray that God will cause them to reach out to God for the only help that they can have. Listen, I live with an illness that requires constant attention. I, you know, I have to deal with it. It's diabetes for those out there, in case you don't know, just so you don't think it's something really, really weird. But I've just been a type 1 diabetic for 54 years, and just you have to deal with that. And God has not chosen to physically heal me, but I want to remind you something. When will we be totally healed? Yeah, when I leave here. This body ain't going to get any better. If you're young and you're starting to feel like you're getting older, I don't have any good news for you. (laughs) If you're going to live, you're going to get older. And if you get older, things are going to hurt. They're going to be out of place. You're going to slow down. Stuff I never thought would happen. I thought it would take longer to get this old. I just promise you it did. And and, and it's just going to happen. But here's the deal. God is there to supply our need. And if we go to him... Be careful, you pray for healing. God's way of healing you might be, oh, you really want to be well? Okay, come on home. And for some reason, right here on earth, we think, oh, oh no, they died. And they're going, hallelujah, finally I'm out of there, and I'm with Christ. There's not a person who died in Christ that really wanted to come back. I think Lazarus might have been a little angry at Jesus for bringing him back. Honestly, he's like, what was that all about? Well, I need you to witness for me. Okay, well, I'll do that, but... Don't take me, don't make me stay here too long because that was awesome what I just saw the last four days. I'd love to go back. Listen, if there are need in your life, pray. And so personally, you ought to be in prayer. Now, we're going to see, it goes on, that you don't have to always be personal only with yourself about that. But what is your first reaction? You know, is your first reaction to call someone, tell someone, communicate it somehow out there? Whatever is bothering you, whatever is hurting you, or whatever is exciting in your life, you ought to thank God for every blessing. You ought to thank God for every difficulty, but ask for his help and his will in that. And so we ought to pray personally. And then secondly, we should pray outwardly. 
in verses 16 through 18 here, he, he goes on to say, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, I do not believe that James is teaching that we ought to have public uh, meetings where everybody gets up and says everything that they've ever thought or done that they should have not have thought or done, okay? But what he is saying is if there's an area in your life that you are having real difficulty with and you can't overcome, there's sin in your life that is keeping you out of the will of God, that you ought to confess that. It says to one another, go, go to someone and say that you can trust and say, listen, I, I'm struggling. I, I, I'm always shocked when there's someone that you think everything's fine and then suddenly you find out they've been dealing with something for a long, long time. They've never said a word to anybody. And now their life is in ruins or their life is crashing and they never asked anybody to pray with them, never asked anybody for help. And I get you don't want to stand up in front of everybody and say it and many times that would be inappropriate. Sometimes it is appropriate. But you ought to go to somebody and say, listen, I'm just struggling. I'm having trouble. I, I mean, I've been doing this job a long time and one thing I realize is there's a psychology to it that people are afraid to tell me something because they're afraid I'll remember that forever and I'll think badly about them. Number one, I'm not going to ever think badly about you because I promise you I'm worse than you are. And I get that. And secondly, I've got some pretty good selective memory. I honestly don't remember. I've had people come back and say, you remember when I was talking to you about and I go, remind me because I, I, I let it go. I can't carry that around. I got no problems of my own. I don't need to carry yours with me. So you, thank you. So you can just come tell me, man, I'll just pray with you, encourage you, try to help you out. Now, I might know somebody can help you better than I can for sure. But that's what he's talking about, man. If, if, if you're struggling, you got, this, you got this problem, man. Go to someone and pray for one another that you can be healed. And here's the encouragement. It's Elijah. Man, Elijah is one of the dudes of the Bible. I mean, he is like, Wow. One of the awesome guys of the Bible. Anybody would agree with that? I mean, when you go up on a mountain up against over 400 false prophets and pray down fire and then take care of all those prophets, that's pretty awesome. But here's the deal. He went into a deep depression after that. Ran from a little old woman after that. Why? Because it says right there, he's a man like us. I mean, he says, remember Elijah? He had a nature like ours. He says the prayer of a righteous person has power while it's working. Remember Elijah? Y'all think he's so awesome and he, he did awesome things, but he's just like you. He was just as scared as you. He was just as sinful as you. He was just as doubtful as you. And if you read his story, he was more depressed than probably maybe almost anybody in this room. And he prayed and God moved. Rain shut down for three and a half years. Why? Because God told him to pray to shut down the rain. Remember what I said earlier? Being led by God. And after three and a half years, God said, all right, pray again. Now, why didn't God just do it? Because then nobody would know why it was happening. People say, well, why pray if God's just going to do what God wants to do anyway, and no matter what I say, he's not going to change him? Because he wants you to understand what he's up to. If you read carefully the burning bush, Moses, y'all remember what Moses did before the burning bush? Forty years before that, he tried to bring deliverance for the Jewish people in Egypt because he was a prince of Egypt. So he went out and he decided to go visit his physical relatives. And he saw a guy being abused by Egyptian and he killed the Egyptian. He's starting a military rebellion. And he's one of the leaders of the country. 
and buried him in the sand. And then a couple days later, he saw some Jewish people fussing at each other. And he said, hey, you, you guys are brothers. You shouldn't be doing that. They said, we made you a judge over us. And you're going to kill us like you kill the Egyptian? And Moses goes, uh-oh, they know. And he takes off running. Forty years later, God appears to him in a burning bush. And Moses, for 40 years, has been wandering around the desert, wondering, man, what are my brethren in Egypt going to do? He's 80 years old. And God comes to him, and I'm going to take what God said and put it in some modern language. It's not me, Moses, it's you. Because the Bible says God saw the affliction of his people. He's like, I've got a clear view of this. You're the one that hadn't figured it out. You tried to do it by your strength, your way, and that doesn't work. You got to do it my way. Well, what's your way? Oh, you're going to take a stick. <laughs> you're just going to walk up to the king of the most powerful nation in the world and tell him what I want him to do. And you're going to do that over nine times. And nine times he's going to say yes and then change his mind. But the ninth time, we're going to fix all of this. And if you don't realize that the nine plagues of Egypt were against nine of their gods, they worshiped the things that God just caused to devastate their land. And the last one was against the Pharaoh himself who considered himself a god and he couldn't even keep his own child alive. But all who showed faith by putting the blood in the form of a cross on their door, their firstborn was delivered. you remember that? Moses was like us. He was a murderer. He tried to do it in his own strength. Elijah, if he'd done it in his own strength, nothing would have happened. But God said, pray. God said, take that stick and go on back there and talk to the king. And then God would act. And so many times we in the church are guilty of trying to work God up like God ain't noticing. And so, hey, God, don't you see us, man? Sort of like the disciples in the boat. Remember, they're in a storm, and they look around, and they're in a storm in a boat where the water's just pouring in. I mean, it's not like it's got decks and it's waterproof. I don't know. How does Jesus sleep with a flood going over top of him? I don't know, but he's asleep. Finally, they shake and say, hey, don't you care that we're dying? He gets up and says, stop that. And the wind stops. And he goes, what were you, why were you afraid, you of little faith? I was with you in the boat. What were you worried about? God is with us. Why are we so worried he isn't paying attention? It's not him that's not paying attention. It's us that's not paying attention. We're not listening to him and asking, what do you want from us? What are you trying to get? We, like Elijah, could pray and God would act if we'd be like Elijah and listen to what God told us to do and then do that. In fact, as Elijah in his depression, he's hiding and God says, go to this place. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the great preacher Vance Havner said if Elijah had gone ever, anywhere else, he'd have starved to death because the ravens were going to obey God and they're going to go where God sent them. And like, he told Elijah, you meet them there because that's where they're going to bring you food. If Elijah said, I don't want to go there. I want to go over here. He'd have starved. But when he went where God told him to go, God did a miracle. And that's what we have to do is figure out what is God up to because God is up to something. I'm here to tell you he is. He's not sitting back going, well, we'll just watch it spin out of control. He's in control, and he's up to something, but we're the ones that are out of control and out of his will. we got to find him. And James comes to the end of this. He says, everything I've been telling you to do, it's based on this. Seek God first and know his will and pray to him. And then he comes to the end of the passage. He says, brothers, if any one of you wanders away from the truth and someone brings him back, know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering 
will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. What is he saying? He's saying that there are those who go astray. There are those who go out. And our job as believers is not to go, well, that's all right. Our job is to say that sin, you got to come back. We need to pray for them and love them and, and, and desire their redemption and, their, and, and the forgiveness of God. And the Bible creates us to be a rescuer of sorts. I got a lot of people in my family have been fire department, police, all that kind of stuff, rescue. And, and there are people that, that love that. They, they just have that nature to want to go do that. God calls us to be that kind of person. Then we see someone in need, somebody in trouble, we run toward the trouble. We run to help them. And he says, if you go and you're able to rescue them, you will save a soul from death. Because a believer cannot sin without God bringing them to repentance or killing them. A sinner that won't repent, if you want to read that backwards, is going to die. And it ain't going to be pretty. And so, if you are a Christian living in sin, you got no assurance of heaven, according to Galatians 5. And he says, if you can go and rescue him, you bring back a sinner from his wandering, you save a soul from physical death. You say, well, I think that's extreme. Well, Proverbs says in chapter 30, I believe it is, that a man who sins, if he is often reproved by God, he hardens his neck. God will cut him off and without remedy. When you get outside the will of God, just, just go ask those guys in Acts who lied to God. Man and his wife, and God killed both of them because they lied to God. Listen, you better be in prayer. <laughs> This is serious. It, 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 it doesn't amaze me God would do that. It amazes me God hadn't done that to me. As I willfully wander away from his will. He is so good and so loving and so gracious. The Bible says the mercy of God brings us to repentance. That God didn't just destroy me when I said, you know, I think I'm going to go over here for a while. And God doesn't destroy us. He loves us and he, he reminds us of what it cost him to forgive us of our sin. And he brings us back to that loving place of repentance. And we could come and say, God, you're right, I failed. And he says, okay, good, you learned a lesson. Come on, let's get, let's, we'll get it better now. Let's, we can go again. God doesn't abandon us. And that is what amazes me. It amazes me that he set his love upon us. It amazes me he saves any of us. It amazes me that he forgives us of our sin. We serve a holy and righteous God who's of pure eyes and even look on sin. And so he had to turn his back on his own son who became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We could be those saints called out to call on his name in prayer. And what an opportunity we miss when we don't pray. Well, what can you do about all this this week? Well, take your news to God first. <laughs> Always take your news to God first. Now, we live in the Facebook age, Instagram age. When you're in, when, when, when you, when bad things happen, super bad things, I don't mean like you couldn't find a parking spot. I mean like your life has fallen apart. We, we live in a world now where in the shock of that, we don't do the right thing. And, and I can promise you in the panic and the, and the pro, of, of a big problem hitting, you are going to make the, Usually your first impression is the wrong one, unless you've trained yourself to your first impressions, talk to God about it. That's where we ought to go to first. So no matter what your news is, take it to God first. 
And then you may say, well, why don't you share that with somebody because I can get glory out of this. Okay, cool. Then you can start sharing it. Then know that you can pray like Elijah. I mean, we think, man, I couldn't call down fire from heaven. Really? James says, you're just like Elijah. You're a man saying, what is the difference? The difference is it's not about Elijah. It's about what God is doing, right? And if you'll be a willing vessel... Listen, if I need to pour gasoline in a, in a, I'll say, a lawnmower, I can use a rolled-up newspaper, I can use a plastic funnel, I can use a metal funnel, I can use a cup with a hole in the bottom, I can try to just pour it straight in. But the funnel, what kind of funnel I have doesn't make a difference as long as it's there for me to use to pour the gas through. You are just a funnel of God's power and grace. It don't matter how he made you, you just got to be willing to receive from him and pour it out on others. Right? So pray like Elijah and let God use you. Be a funnel. And then bring somebody back to him. First, you got to pray and then go to them. If you know somebody that needs you, you need to just go to them. You don't need to tell everybody else. You need to go to them and say, listen, I'm here because I, want, I love you and I want to see you brought back to the will of God. And if they refuse you, you, all you can do then is pray. But you need to go try that first. Well, I pray this book of James has helped you to see how you can practice Jesus in a world that's in opposition, that you can live like Christ. And these, these final words of James, he's concluding this letter. He's driving it home. Friend, listen, everything I've been saying, it's based in, it's saturated in, it is powered in prayer. Because it is God that works in us to will and do of his good pleasure, the Bible says in Ephesians. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word from James. Lord, we know that whatever suffering James went through, those early apostles went through, they've been in heaven 2,000 years now. Some of the prophets have been in heaven 3,000 plus years, 4,000, 5,000 years. So their time on earth, no matter how long or short, is very brief compared to where they are now. And so, Lord, may we get that attitude, may we get that understanding that whatever we're going through here is just a, less than a blink of an eye in light of where we're headed. So, Lord, help us not to fail in this moment, in this instant of our life. But, Lord, help us to call upon you, but not not just trying to get something from you, but just coming to you and, and surrendering ourselves in your presence, just saying, Lord, do whatever you want. But Lord, just use us to bring your glory to this world. Use us to rescue a sinner. Use us to encourage a saint. Use us to help a church be effective. Use us, Lord, to pray for those in leadership, many of whom may not know you, but that's okay. You control their thoughts. And God, whatever we see, may we have faith and trust in who you are and what you're doing. Lord, I am not adequate to come here every week and speak your word. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would use me just as a funnel and that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, that you would speak even despite me not because of me. Lord, may we all have that understanding that we're a vessel 
And we thank you that you've set your love on us, you've redeemed us, you call us your own, you've made us children of the king. We, we appreciate all of that. But Lord, we can never forget where that comes from and never lose our gratitude for who you are. So may we be utterly dependent on you. May we call on no other, may we trust in no other, and may we certainly not trust in ourselves. And may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.